0: Good morning, Lighthouse. How is everybody doing? Good. Good. So, um, if you've never met me before, my name is Terry Jane Perez Castañeda. <laughs> I'm married to a beautiful Colombian man, um, and I am celebrating my second Heritage Day as a person who's married into Colombian culture. This is not Colombian dress, but uh, I tried. <laughs> um, everybody looks so beautiful and amazing in their heritage wear. Thank you so much for dressing up, guys. It's amazing. Love to see all the colors and the cultures that we've got here. Um, no book jerseys after last night, unfortunately. <laughs> it's okay. Jesus loves island too. Um, yeah, <laughs> Kimmy's still working on a forgiving heart over there a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, I have the privilege of sharing on uh, part eight of our Prodigal Son series. I'm sharing on the Father. And um, I just wanted to say, like, firstly, I am preaching not under my own authority, but I'm preaching under the authority of the eldership team. I'm in, under their correction, under their authority. I'm not speaking under my own authority, I'm in submission to them. Awesome. So, John did an amazing job last week. My husband and I were away um, at the Val for the weekend, so we weren't here physically, but I watched this sermon during the week in my prep, and John did such an amazing job of just revealing the, the Lord's character to us, the Father's character to us, and I'm just so like, he's not here, he's chatting to the guys about baptisms, but I'm so proud of John and his vulnerability that he was able to say, you know what, I didn't have a great relationship with my earthly father, but my heavenly father is so much greater and so much better. So um, a lot of us can relate to, to John's story. Um, Some of us have been hurt by our fathers, rejected by us. Sometimes it's not even an actual rejection. Sometimes it's a perceived rejection, um, and some of the rejections are incredibly real. Um, But today I'm going to be sharing on the Father's presence, right? And for some of us who didn't have the greatest relationship with our Father, that sounds like the worst thing ever, right? Why would you want to be in that guy's presence? Um, Maybe you had a father who was hurtful to you. Maybe he put you down. Maybe he was abusive. And if you don't want your earthly father's presence, because that's the model that you were given, why would you want to go and sit in the presence of the heavenly father? Right? So John, I'm not going to re-preach what John spoke about, but he spoke about the father's character and nature. And um, there's a verse in the Bible where the Lord actually tells us from His mouth about His character, and it's in Exodus um, chapter 34. Um, Zan, if you can put that verse up, it should be the next slide. And it says from verse 6, the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren, the entire family is affected, even the children to the third and fourth generations. Now I don't want you to get stuck on that last verse. It's hectic. But I want you to look at the the sentence just before. It says that He doesn't excuse the guilty because if we're honest, if someone does something wrong to us, we want them to face consequences. We want people who are menaces to society to, um, not in the cool way, (laughs) in the mean way, we want those people to face consequences. And so this verse speaks about God's righteousness until the third and the fourth generations. But the first sentence in that verse is "I lavish, unfailing love to how many? A thousand generations. So God's wrath lasts three or four generations. But God's unfailing love and mercy lasts a thousand generations. So God's love is so much bigger and far outlasts and outweighs His wrath. And I also want to say that God... God's perfect plan and God's intention for the family model was that your father would be a representative of the father. That was God's intention. That is why he made it so that when a man and a woman, a man and a woman come together and have a child, because that was his plan. In the biblical model... We speak about husbands laying their lives down for their wives, for their families, because that's the example that Christ gave us when he lay his life down for the church. Now it's sad, it's sad that we're living in such a broken society. John was sharing those stats last week about how many, pa- how many kids grow up in fatherless homes. That stat didn't even cover the kids that grow up in f- homes where the father's present but is a bad influence but is not a good presence. But God intended for the man, for the father, to lay his life down, because the biblical model is the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Father is supposed to be the spiritual covering of the family, supposed to love them, supposed to be held accountable for them. And I wanna encourage you guys this morning, if, if there's a father wound in you, We're going to do some ministry later. We would love to pray with you. If there's a father wound, allow God to restore your image, your perception of what a father is, because our heavenly father is so good. I want to read that verse from Exodus 34 again. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of what compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger, and I'm filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected by their sins. Even the children in the third and fourth generation. Now, Zanda, I'm going to ask you now now to play this clip that I sent you. And I feel like this is what we should feel. This clip embodies what we should feel in the presence of of the Heavenly Father. And for those of you who are fathers here, there's actually not that many fathers here. Hi, Luca. Ian. Frank. John's all the way in the back. Andre. Justin. Are you a father? Scotty's raising his hand, yeah. This is the way that we should react to our earthly fathers as well because our earthly fathers should reflect the heavenly father. So the dads that are here and the dads to be in the future, let your kids, let the people around you react to you in this way. Um, You can hit that clip for me, Zanda. Thank you. It's just two and a half minutes. Look, who's that? (laughs) 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 Here he comes. Is it Daddy? Is that Daddy? How sweet is that? <laughs> Those make me cry. <laughs> um, oh, I had to leave the dog in there because my husband is a dog dad. Jason's a dog dad. Zander's a dog dad. And they, they related to that when they felt that one. Um, and, but it's just, it just is so beautiful to me. These kids and the dog literally unable to contain their, their excitement. They're like shouting. They're like, dad, dad. There's this other one, and it's so cute, but I couldn't find it on, on YouTube. And it's this kid, he's like chanting. He's like, daddy, daddy, daddy. Like that is how excited they are. Also, I want you to notice that not one of those dads had anything, not a surprise, not a present, nothing for those kids. All they did was show up. It was purely, those kids' reactions was purely to the presence of their dad. Daddy's home. They were so excited. So um, I'm going to recap the story quickly. And you guys are probably so tired of hearing about the prodigal son. So I'm going to keep it as short and as theatrical as possible to keep you guys engaged. So for those of you who haven't read it, wave in. Um, But if you haven't read it, you can read along in Luke chapter 15. Jesus is telling parable, and he basically says, this guy has two sons. The younger son goes up to him and says, Dad, you know how am I going to get an inheritance when you die? And Dad's like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, um, can I have it now? I know I'm only supposed to get it when you die, but it would actually be better for me if you were already dead, because then I could get the inheritance. So, like, let's just skip the whole you dying thing, and then you can give me my inheritance. So the father's... Wants this guy to learn a lesson, or he's very loving, or I don't know. But he's like, okay, cool. So he divides up his wealth between both sons, the older son and the younger son. The younger son goes and jaws, parties, prostitutes, all everything, just squanders it, gambling, everything. I don't know if they had drugs then, but probably drugs as well. Just spends it all, gone. Then he's starving. A famine hits the land as his money runs out. Talk about bad luck. Those are the things that sometimes when you make bad decisions and you're like, no, i have just under spiritual attack. No, you made a bad decision. And he's like, he's like no. Um. So he goes and the scripture says he joins himself to another citizen of that country. He essentially sells himself into slavery. And um, he's feeding the pigs. Not good for a, a good Jewish boy to be near pigs, let alone feeding them. And he's like so hungry that he's like, oof, you know those pods looks quite yummy. I just need to chow something. And he's so hungry that the Holy Spirit brings him to his senses. Then he goes back home and he's preparing the speech. Right? He's like, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Let me be one of your hired servants. I'll be a slave in your house because I know that that's better than where I was. So he's preparing the speech. He's walking. He's barefoot. He's walking. The, the word says that he was at a distant land. I don't know how distant it was, but like, he's getting blisters. So he's like, Lord, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. He gets there, and his father runs. He sees him from a far way off, and he runs outside to him. Hugs him and kisses him. He gets halfway through his speech. All he gets out is, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. And dad cuts him off. Quick, bring the best robe in the house. Get a ring for his finger and shoes for his feet. My son was dead, but now he's alive. Let's kill the fattened calf. We're going to jaw now. So they throw a party. Now, big brother has been working in the field, like he does every single day. And um, the servants are like all going into the party, like they're all happy, whatever. And he's like, hang on, shift's not over. Where are you going? So he's like, no, no, no. Master called a party. We're going to the party. Master said we stop work for the day. We're going to a party. Why? Your brother's back. Now you'd think, you'd think he was a little bit excited to see his brother, right? But he's like, that oak, that oak that squandered all of my dad's wealth on prostitutes and wild living and nonsense, that guy, no ways. So he sits in the field with a fat lip and he sucks. He's like, no, no, I'm not going in. That guy's a chop. I'm not going in. So the father, in his love, goes out to him. My son, your brother was dead, but now he's alive. Come inside, we're going to celebrate. We have to celebrate. And he's like, come listen, Bali. I have been slaving for you. I have been working my Bum off trying to get your approval, trying to get you to see my value. And the dad's like, my son, I am always with you. Everything I have is yours. He could have had the fattened calf, just summer because we're having a bra, the springboks are playing. Hopefully they're gonna win. Let's kill the fattened calf and we're gonna do a nice spit. He could have done that because everything the father had belonged to him already. You know, the word says in that first verse about the story, it says that he divided his wealth between the sons. So that means the oldest son already had his inheritance, but he didn't see that he was a son. He considered himself a slave. He had identity issues. Okay, so that's the recap. (laughs) Um, So, As you know, uh, we've got our little three, three, two, three. We've got three sons, right? Three fathers, two kingdoms, and three options. The three sons being the older brother, the younger brother, and Jesus, the perfect son of the kingdom. The three fathers, right? We've got the earthly father who divides his wealth, gives it to the sons. We've got our father in heaven, heavenly father, perfect father, And then we've got the father of lies, the devil that lies to the older brother and says, you've got to work. Come on, hurry up. That same guy that goes to the younger son and says, ah, but like, why must you work, man? The old man's going to leave you so much money when he passes away. Just take the money, go and have a good life. Then we've got two kingdoms, the kingdom of light, which is the kingdom of the father. And then we've got the kingdom of darkness, which is on both sides, religion, and worldliness, right? Sorry, someone's like trying to keep up with me on the camera. <laughs> then we've got three options, okay? First option is worldly secular humanism. That's I'm gonna jaw, I'm gonna spend my body's money, and I'm gonna have a lacquer life, right? The other option is religious slavery. I'm gonna work for approval. You don't earn, you have to earn everything in this life. Nothing gets handed to you. You gotta rise and grind, the hustle. If you're not up at 5 a.m., what are you doing? That oak, okay? And then, we've got life in Jesus and the kingdom of light. Life as one with Jesus. Now, I relate. I actually relate to both brothers, but if you, if you were to hear my testimony, you'd be like, no, Terry, you're a younger brother. <laughs> For sure, you are a younger brother. Um, but I, I, I honestly, I've, I can relate to both brothers because I was thinking back to my childhood and I was fully an older brother before I ever became a young brother. Um, my parents planted Lighthouse when I was like five or six years old. I was small. Melanie, remember? <laughs> Melanie's been here since we planted. Um... And my parents were also on the translocal team by that time. So my parents have always traveled, always. Um, and the enemy used that to give me abandonment issues. My parents did not abandon me. They did not leave me with dodgy or weird people. It was my aunt. It was Barry and Lee. It was like people that they trusted, that he, they left us with. Um, But all I knew was that my parents weren't there. And, you know, the enemy comes and the enemy says, you know what, if you're a better daughter, if you did better at school, if you were just better at your sport, they'll show up. If you did this, then you would get more attention and they'd pay more attention to you. And I'm not dishonoring my parents, they know this, they know I experienced this, Um, and I know that they were fulfilling the kingdom, that they were doing good work, that the Lord was calling them to those places, but the enemy comes, the enemy comes and twists your perception and distorts the way you see things to hurt you and to keep you stuck. So I'll explain how I relates to both the younger brother and the older brother. But as we talk about presence this morning, we're talking about the presence of the father, right? All of those kids being so excited that they can't keep it inside. It comes out in these squeals and shouts and laughing, and they don't know if they need to laugh or they need a cry because they're so excited they're seeing the dad. And the younger brother ten- has a tendency, which we can fall into easily, and I call that tendency presence, gifts of a presence. See, my parents always used to bring back gifts when they traveled. And it wasn't like a guilt thing to be like, sorry, we were away, here's a present. It was more like, hey, I was thinking about you. I know you like this thing. So I got this in the States. I got this in South America. I got this because I was thinking about you. And I was about seven years old at the time of this story, um, Jesus has forgiven me um, <laughs> and my dad was away so my mom was with us looking after us and my dad was away and he called us from overseas, Now, back in those days a call from overseas was expensive um, but he just wanted to hear our voice and he wanted to um, he wanted to check in with us so my mom gives me the phone and the first thing out of my mouth is dad what present did you get me because I know my dad's in a lacquer country, right? So I'm like, I'm going to get a nice present. I think I was talking about it with my friends at school the day, that day. Like, they were, I was like, no, my dad's away, but he always brings me presents. And the first thing out of my mouth was, what did you get me? And my dad was hurt. As anyone would be, if you're away and you just want to hear from your family, you just want to hear their voice, and the first thing out of their mouth is not, hi, dad, how are you? I miss you. I love you. What did you get me? And that's why I'm saying presence over presence. And we treat the Lord like this. I treated the Lord like this. When I was in my prodigal era, <laughs> I would only pray to get things from God. Lord Jesus, help me with my exam. I know I should have studied a bit more, but Lord, you are bigger than this exam paper. Right? Right? Lord Jesus, forgive me for drinking too much last night. Lord Jesus, I pray that you help me get to university even though my tank is on empty. I was praying these me, 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 me prayers because I wasn't seeking the Lord's presence. I was seeking his blessings. I was seeking the things that he can give me more than I was seeking his presence. Now this reminds me of of a story from Exodus 32, 33. So this happened like right after God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, right? We'll get to that scripture in a moment. This is like right after God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. If you haven't read this, guys, it reads like sci-fi. If you read the way that the Lord brought the, the Israelites out of Egypt with 10 plagues. Guys, the Nile was turned into blood. There were like crazy frog infestations. Like it was proper. Like if you read it like that, and you see the movie happening in your head, guys, you'll get addicted to reading the Bible. It's the best thing to get addicted to. But, um, so the Israelites have been brought through out of the land of Egypt by the hand of God. Now, it is completely undeniable that God was the one who brought them out of Egypt because as they come out of Egypt, he parts the Red Sea, and these people walked on the dry land of the sea with the water piling up on either side of them, okay? Okay? So these, this was like the golden days of when to believe in God. So if you, if you had seen all of this and you didn't believe in God, sure. Like, I want them to come here <laughs> and live here. Anyway, so now the Lord has been leading them through the wilderness, right? A pillar of smoke by day and a fire by night, right? So God's presence is literally with them. And so Moses gets called up to the mountain, right? The Lord's like, come, we're going to write the law. So he goes up and he's there for a while. And what do the people do? Forget God. They're like, oh, God's gone. He went up the mountain. He's never coming back. Moses is never coming back. Quick, everybody get your gold jewelry. We've got to make an idol. And it actually happens that God says, Moses, please go down down the mountain and sort out your people look what they're doing look what I've done for them and look what they're doing and what happens is God gets so angry and rightfully so if I'm reading this with all of this knowledge that they've experienced this firsthand in the last couple of weeks and they forget God so quickly God's like no I'm wiping them out I'm going to start again this is enough now Moses says no Lord did you bring them out of Egypt just to kill them Everybody will say that you brought them out of Egypt just to slaughter them in the wilderness. You can't do this, Lord. And he pleads with God on behalf of the people. Then God says, okay, fine. And this is where we're going to pick up this verse, Exodus 33. The Lord said to Moses, get going. You and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt. Go up to the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them I will give this land to your descendants, and I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel among you, for you are a stubborn and rebellious people, and I would surely destroy you along the way. So God's like, okay, I'm not going to destroy you, and I'm even going to give you the promise I'm going to give you the inheritance. You don't even have to fight for it. I'm going to send an angel. I'm going to drive out all the people. You guys go. I'm not coming with. My presence will not go with you because I will destroy you. So this is the present on a silver platter, but no presence. Then Moses said, in uh, much later, like verse 15, Then Moses said, If you don't personally go with us, do not make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and your people, if you don't go with us? Now this is the key. For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked. For I look favorably on you and I know you by name. Lord, I don't want to go if you're not going with me. I don't want to do this. I don't want to follow the way that you've set out for me unless I've got your presence with me, going with me. I don't want to get a single promise that you have given me without your presence. Now let's chat about the older brother. So that's the younger brother. Presence over presence, right? Are you looking for God's promises for God's blessings more than you're seeking after his presence because it is nothing without his presence. John spoke last week about what is the final destination of Christians. It's not heaven. It's presence, communion, fellowship with the Father into eternity. That is the final destination and that is the best thing that we can ever get. The older brother tendency I like to think of is striving over abiding. Because striving and abiding are two completely different things, right? And I think it's perfectly summed up in the culture that we see today. That's like hustle grind culture. Some of you know what I'm talking about. The guys that wake up at like three in the morning to work and then they take photos of like an investment chart and they're like, when you're sleeping, I'm working. They're like, no, you've got to work for everything that you get in this life. You've got to fight for a piece of the pie, You've got to work hard to get approval from God, from people, to prove that you're worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus. That's that voice that comes in and accuses you. It says, when was the last time you shared the gospel? You're not a good Christian. You can't say no to serving on a Sunday. It doesn't matter if you're burnt out. You can't say no. That's that voice that comes and say, oh, you really didn't do great at praying for that person, hey? You're stumbling over words. You know that if you had prayed more in the week, then you would have done better. But you're not. You're a bad Christian. You're naughty. That's that voice. Bad Christian. Naughty Christian. And I, I fell into this trap myself. I felt like if I had the marks, if I had, if I gained the um, the proficiency in my sport, in my music that then I would earn the presence of my parents. And you know what, they unknowingly contributed to it because when I made first team netball, they were there. But they weren't there for all of the games leading up to that. Even my first year in first team, I remember being so upset because they weren't there for my major matches. And understandably, my dad plans his year a year in advance, right? So, and I only made the first team that year. So all of his trips were set. There was nothing that he could do. And he was just, it just was bad timing. He was away. And then at the end of the season, I won three awards. Most improved player, best defender, and something else. I don't remember. My parents were there at the, th- at the prize giving when I was on the mountaintop. And then they were at every game. Pretty much every game after that, my parents were there. And so the message that I received that the enemy twisted and pushed on me was, you are not worth being with if you are not excelling. You are not worth being with if you are not the best. You're not worth being with if you're losing matches, if you're getting C's. And so I pushed myself. I, I would have a meltdown if I got a C at school. I would have an absolute meltdown if I lost a netball match, if I played badly. I would be so depressed. I developed an eating disorder because I felt like that is the last box I needed to tick. I was like, got the marks, first team netball, I'm student council, but if I just lost this extra five kgs, then I'd be worthy because this is the only thing that I'm not good at. (sighs) Now, I'm not saying that ambition is wrong. I'm not saying that working to improve yourself is wrong. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you're finding your identity in that, if you're chasing after that, without knowing that you're already redeemed and already perfected in the blood of Jesus, you are going to destroy yourself, chasing after approval that has already been given to you. Matthew seven twenty-one. this verse used to scare me. <laughs> Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many of you will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. Now, this is not because they didn't meet some criteria. It is that they were trying to get into the kingdom of heaven based on their works and not on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. They said, Lord, I cast out this many demons. Lord, I performed this many miracles. I did this many things. This is my CV, my spiritual CV, Lord. Look, can I come in? No. Why? Because you aren't reliant on the blood of Jesus, on the promise that I already fulfilled See, God doesn't want you to do anything for Him. Don't do anything for God. He wants you to do things with Him, with His grace, with His power. Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and it is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that anyone can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, Jesus understood this. Jesus, who could do it all himself, understood this. In John 5, verse 19 to 20, Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, the son does also. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. Now I had other stuff prepared, but I've gone off the beaten path a little bit. <laughs> and I want to just, want to encourage you to read, when you read your Bible, when someone gets called by God, or commissioned by God, or asked by God to do something, there is almost always some variation in the scripture of God saying, I am with you. I wanna encourage you, get a highlighter, and this is that one color. You're gonna use this color just for those verses, just for those sentences. I don't know what color it is that you wanna do, but it is, I'm gonna read a couple. This first one is from Exodus 3. This is when Moses was called by God through the burning bush. In verse 11, but Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, we will worship God, you will worship God on this mountain. I will be with you. Who am I? I will be with you. But I don't have the credentials. I will be with you. But I stuffed up earlier in my life. I messed up. I will be with you. Of my own credentials, of my own, other than being a Nepo baby, I have no credentials other than the blood of Jesus that brought me out of my sin and my brokenness. I have no credentials to be standing up here other than the fact that God is with me as I stand up here. I could do no prep this week if it was not for God with me. Some more more examples. Joshua chapter one. This is commissioning Joshua who served under Moses for years. He was going to be the one to lead the Israelites into the promised land. Verse five. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors give to them. Not be strong and courageous, go and do it, good boy. No, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Therefore, be strong and courageous. Therefore, go and do all of these things. Take these people into their inheritance that I promised to them. Not from your own strength, but because I am with you. Abram, if we go even further back, Abram, the father of the Israelites, before he became Abraham, Genesis 12, 1, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I'm going to lead you into that land. You're not going to find that land by yourself. I will show you. I'm going to take you. I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to show you where to go. There's countless examples. But the last one I want to share is not the Gideon one. I don't even have it on the slides. It's Matthew 28. The Great Commission. The words that Jesus left his disciples with. It's from verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe observe all that I have commanded you, this last sentence, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Not go and do all of these things in your own strength. Not go and make sure that you don't mess up because everyone's watching you. No, go because I will be with you until the end of the age. Go and do these things in my power. Go and do these things from my presence. Go and do these things from my strength and my grace. will not you stand with me, church? Father God, Reveal yourself to us. Reveal your character and your nature to us, Lord. Help us to see you the way those kids saw their dads with such excitement, with such wonder at just being in their presence of their father, Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would, we would want to be in your presence, more than we want your blessings Lord Jesus that we would want to abide in you more than we want to strive for you and we want to work for you and we want to do things from our own strength Lord because it is only by you it's only by your grace that we can do anything that you've called us to do Father I pray Lord Jesus that you would continue to reveal yourself to us that we would spend time, Lord, in the coming weeks, and the coming days in this secret place, just soaking in your presence, not coming with a laundry list of prayers, not coming with the same prayers that we've been praying over and over and over again, Lord Jesus, but just to sit in your presence, just to sit and be with you, to allow you to love on us, to give us your wisdom, Lord. Thank you that we do nothing apart from you. As Jesus said, we only do what we see you doing. We only say what we hear you saying, Lord Jesus. I pray that you empower us to be so aware of our reliance on you and your presence. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, everyone.